When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I was grumpy at the end of the last podcast, but I'm a happy go lucky boy now. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com, your Ohio State coverage team. Happy Monday. Hope you guys had a great weekend. We have a lot to talk about on this daily Buckeye Talk pod. Again, you know, you know this by now. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. That's the daily pod. That's like half hour ish. Big two-hour pod every Wednesday. If you want to be a tech subscriber, friend of the pod, you help support local journalism, get to participate in the podcast, just send a text, 614-350-3315. You send a text there, you find out how to find out how to sign up. $3.99 a month after that 14-day free trial. Worth it, we think. Um, we're going to talk about recruiting and why it's so good, because I think you guys like talking about how good Ohio State is at recruiting. And then we might talk about Tom Brady. Nathan, what's the question from the texter that is spurring today's daily podcast? This is a question from our, our buddies in Northeast Ohio in the 330 area code. Do you think Ohio State's recruiting success this year is more this year is more a product of Ryan Day or the fact that it seems like most of our position coaches are elite recruiters? Brian Hartline, Larry Johnson, and Kerry Combs all seem to be some of the better recruiters at their positions. So I think I want to start with the contention of most of our position coaches are elite recruiters. And I think the text. I guess he didn't say most. He mentioned those three specifically. Did he say, I thought you said, I thought you said most. Did you say most? Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Different sentence. You're right. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. It so seems guess, like most of our position coaches are elite recruiters, yes. I guess it depends what your definition of most is, because there's 10 assistants, and, and the texter mentions three, and and we can talk about those three. Are, is there anybody else beyond those three, Kerry Combs, Larry Johnson, Brian Hartline, that we would throw into that category of elite recruiter? Well, I guess the question, I, mean, I think there are some guys, one that I'm thinking of right now that I would probably put a notch below those three, but I don't know if that might still make him elite. Is this like the Joe Flacco quarterback question? Like, what does elite mean? But like, I think what Greg Stradrava has done the last few years, I think is, is pretty impressive. Now he has pulled some guys, happened to have some really great guys here in Ohio that he kept home. People like Josh Myers and 
Paris Johnson, but, you know, going out to getting Wyatt Davis, going other places, getting other talented offensive linemen. Um, they, they've pretty consistently been able to bring in the top offensive linemen at a one of the five positions, it seems like here for like, it seems like you about, about one a year, you'll get somebody who's ranked one or two, right? At that, at, at their position on the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, you look at last year's class, it's like, well, I mean, again, Paris Johnson's in Ohio, but you still had to fight to keep that guy. He's like right. the best tackle. Luke Whippler's like the best center, um, you know, to get Wyatt Davis, Wyatt Davis kind of fell in their lap because he was a California kid and he kind of decided he wanted to come here, but you'll take your luck. Uh, in recruiting, Greg Studrava was still like sitting in his car on Wyatt Davis's street on signing day to make sure he didn't flip the USC. So, um, yeah, it's weird. I mean, Stephen, some of these things, I, I sort of lump Greg Studrawa and Tony Alford in the same boat in that I think they've both had recruiting struggles at their time during their time at Ohio State. And I think they've both had like recruiting hot streaks and times of, of great success. Um, and so I think that's probably normal. I think if you're truly a great recruiter, like you never have a lull, you're really getting top guys all the time. Um, that's elite. But that's who, elite to me. So is who's who's the closest? Would you say Stadrawa is the next closest beyond those top three, or would you say somebody else? Yeah, those top three are in a league of their own because they haven't necessarily had a lull. They've consistently – Kerry Combs came back in and picked off right where he left off. So – there's consistency, and then Sujawa and Alfred are on that next level of okay, they've had some really big hits, but they've also had some lows for the reason they had to have those very really, really big hits. Tony Alfred, according to Two Four Seven Sports, is a top recruiter in the country right now, and it's because he went and got two top 100 running backs. Well, you had to go get you top 21 running backs because of what he did the last two years. So, no, got when you're hot, they're really hot, but then they can get really cold. And then the step below that are guys like Al Washington, who's also on this top 10 list. I'll say that's five guys on this list, by the way. But Al Washington hasn't necessarily mastered his own room yet, but he's had his hand in getting some of the other guys in different rooms as, as other four or five star kids in other rooms, but he hasn't necessarily been able to do it in his own room yet. Ah, so. I don't. I think Al Washington might be the closest. I, I want to see it from Al Washington a little bit, but Reed Carrico in the class of 21 at linebacker yeah. is a is a top 100 kid. Um, Court Williams, who's like kind of a linebacker, kind of a safety, he was number 164 um, in last year's class. Cody uh, Simon is, is is 74. So Cody Simon is 74 yeah. um, as a as a true linebacker. I mean, that's, that's Mitchell Melton's 347. He's a little bit of an mm-hmm. under-the-radar guy that some people really like. Um, you know, that's two – that's back-to-back years with, with Cody Simon and Reed Carrico of getting uh, a linebacker who's one of the top 100 players in the country. You know, we, we, we get a lot of, um, you know, talk about Al Washington and the way that he worked on Zach Harrison when Al Washington was at Michigan and – and they almost got Zach Harrison to go to Michigan. I would like to maybe see Al Washington pull like some, you know, gigantic five-star linebacker somewhere. But I think a lot of people, when you talk about Al Washington's strengths, it felt like when Al Washington got here, the thing you talked about most with Al Washington was recruiting. I don't know that you talked about, oh, he's such a great technician as a linebacker um, coach. That's what makes him great. I think it was that he's a, a guy who is, who really does work on the trail. So I, I don't know. I think it feels like Al Washington could maybe get to that 
Combs, Johnson, Hartline level. He's climbing, and he's been in the in from the moment he got here, he was already in the room with some of the five star linebackers that were out there in 2020. It's just a matter of when he's going to land one. He's probably now he's got the highest ceiling, obviously, of the young the young recruits outside of Brian Hartline because he's already hit his ceiling from the moment he stepped into that position. But yeah, if we're going to talk about the guy that in four or five years can be the Larry Johnson of what of linebackers for Ohio State. Sure, he's pro- he's already putting himself on that trajectory. I just think right now, when you look at the list of commits that he's either solely responsible for or played a role in, the top two guys are guys aren't in his position. It's Jack Sawyer and it's Tra- Travion Henderson. That's why you know I'm not ready to give him that title yet of being you know the elite guy or even the next level yet. Those other guys have at least landed a five-star kid in their own room. Who was the last five? I guess Browning would have been the last five-star linebacker mm-hmm. that Ohio State landed. It just seems like yeah. I mean, there's there are three total linebackers outside or inside that are five stars for the 2021 class. One's a kid from Georgia yeah. committed to Georgia. One's a kid from um, the same um, high school as um, a cornerback that Ohio State's producing, Jaqueline Davies. This kid named Rajon Davis from Santa Ana, California. He committed to LSU, and then one other kid from Florida that's the the number one guy. Um, it, I, I've never – am I off base in thinking that linebacker just seems to be one of those positions that – I don't know how many five-stars there are in a given year. It seems like the skill positions have more – sometimes even offensive line has more. Defensive end certainly does. No, I, I think that's true. But, like, uh, for instance, still, if you if you told me, again, like, Ray John Davis's high school is the high school they've been involved with. And yes. weren't they involved with, yeah. with him a little bit, right? Early on, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like if if you tell me like, yeah, they they pulled that kid, they got that like just like one of those out of nowhere like, holy moly! But then at the same time, Reed Carrico is the seventh ranked linebacker in this class, mm-hmm. so I I don't you don't ever want to like you know take uh, Ohio kids for granted. So I right. think your point is right though, Nathan. Sometimes depending what position you recruit, you have a chance to pull in higher ranked kids because you know like Brian Hartline stacking top one hundred receivers, but there's a lot of receivers who are in the top 100, I think, a lot of the time compared to linebacker. Yeah, and the other thing is that the other half of recruit, you know, yes, a huge part of recruiting is going out and getting the elite guys to come to Ohio State. And then there is, and I don't know what percentage you'd want to put on it, of identifying either those in-state guys or the under-recruited guys and being right on them and then developing them into more than what people expected them to be from a recruiting standpoint. I think they've probably done that a little bit at linebacker um, here in these last couple of years more so than not bringing in those marquee guys. So I didn't even know this. So this takes me back um, when I worked on the East Coast and I covered uh, the Philadelphia – I was never the beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, but I, I helped out there and I was did stuff. I covered the Super Bowl one time that they were in as I worked in the Philly suburbs. But the number four linebacker in the class of 21 in the, in the nation, number 35 overall player, is Jeremiah Trotter, Jr., um, Jeremiah Trotter was a linebacker for the Eagles when I was there. He goes to St. Joseph Prep, which is the same high school as Marvin Harrison Jr. and Kyle McCord, who are two Ohio State commits in the class of 2021. Yeah. And I didn't even know this stuff, but Jeremiah Trotter Jr. is committed to Clemson. Yep. Why, why isn't he coming to Ohio State? <laughs> why isn't he coming why to Ohio could... State so you can cover him? No, well, with his high school teammates, Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison. Uh, Ohio State got two kids yeah. out of that high school. Why didn't they get the third? The offensive side of the ball has turned that into a feeder school, and the defensive side of the ball hasn't been able to do it. And it doesn't even look like he was 
He wasn't even offered. According to 247, they didn't even offer him. The only Big Ten offers he had were Maryland, Michigan State, and Penn State. All right, we'll have to go back. Dan Lobby for us went out there, because that's also the high school that Kevin Stefanski, the Browns uh, coach, went to. And so Dan Lobby went and did a story about a month and a half ago about Kevin Stefanski. And while he was there, he did a Marvin Harrison Jr. and Kyle McCord story for us. We will send Dan back there to do a Jeremiah Trotter Jr. story for us. Um, As we think about this, though, the original question, Nathan, is – is it more the assistants or is it more Ryan Day? What is your instinct? And it's not, you know, there are more things and we can get into that later, but I like when texters give us a hard choice and then we have to make a choice. So if you had to pick between those two things, what's more of an influence, Ryan Day or the assistants, what would you pick? I think right now I would still lean more towards the assistants only because Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs and some of these other guys were getting it done before Ryan day was their head coach. They have a long track record of being very impressive in the recruiting sphere. Um, but I, I, it's, if I, <laughs> I'll, I'll answer it that way just because it's the easiest way to answer for this exercise. But obviously it's one of those, it's more, it's more a, a an exercise where you'd be like, well, what percentage do you give today? What percentage do you give to the assistants? Yeah, we can do that later because there's another factor here that I think if we're doing percentages, you have to include. Steven, are you more day or more assistance? I'm more assistance with the elite guys, the Heartline, Combs, and Johnson because this, this is normal uh, normal days for them. With the running back thing, I'm going to split it between Alfred and day because, you know, this is Alfred had to get back to this level in order to land two run- – top 100 running backs but also I think some of this is the opportunity for those running backs but also after seeing what the offense can look like under day with a with you know a quarterback and not it didn't have to necessarily be the elite level that Justin Fields is but a quarterback who is both a vertical pass threat but also a threat with his legs and also hey you can have that but we can also get you 1,500 yards as a running back as well. You don't have to suffer. I know it didn't really work out in 2018, but you don't have to suffer in this offense just because we're throwing the ball down the field now. So I'm going to split. I'm kind of torn between those two with that one. But overall, your answer is the assistance. Yeah. I'm going to say day, and here's why. Um, I think recruiting is a culture. I think recruiting is a way of life. Recruiting is a mindset. Um, And I think in his own way, Ryan Day immediately from day one was able to, I don't know, like maintain the message that Urban Meyer established that we recruit every minute of every day. We never stop thinking about recruiting. And that's not unusual, but I also don't think it's the way that every single coach operates. And so in all the ways that Ryan Day is different, than Urban Meyer. And I talked to Mark Pantone about this when I did a story several months ago. You know, it's the idea that that Urban Meyer was in Mark Pantone's office every day talking about recruiting. And Ryan Day is not. Ryan Day, Mark Pantone said that. Ryan Day is not that because he has a lot more hands-on stuff in offensive game planning. But I think Mark, I think Ryan Day has empowered Mark Pantone and has laid down a level of expectation that has allowed them to continue at the Urban Meyer level and perhaps even surpass it, which we will get into a little bit later. And so while, yes, he inherited guys like Larry Johnson um, and Brian Hartline 
you know, like was got the opportunity under Urban when Zach Smith was fired, but then like Ryan Day locked Brian Hartline down here and made sure he wasn't going anywhere. And Kerry Combs left when Urban Meyer was here. And when Ryan Day had an opening, the first thing he did was prioritize Kerry Combs, who might be one of the best recruiters Ohio State football has ever seen. So, the, and, then, and then the other part of this is, I do, I do think there's another, and this is, I'm not like, I'm just playing with semantics here. There is another elite coach on this staff in terms of recruiting, and it's Ryan Day. Because Ryan Day went and got Kyle McCord. You know, like, that's not, you know, like, there's, yeah. Corey Dennis is the position coach, and Mike Yersich was the position. Kyle McCord, who is now the number 22 overall prospect in the country, a five-star quarterback from Philadelphia, that's all Ryan Day. That Philadelphia connection, which also led to Marvin Harrison Jr., that's a Ryan Day connection from when Ryan Day worked on the East Coast at Temple and Boston College. I think Ryan Day, right, was very involved with Travion Henderson. Like, Ryan Day, right, like, Urban Meyer was a great closer. Ryan Day is proving his own chops as a head coach who closes but also does some groundwork on some guys. And so I think maybe – and maybe – Maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe no coach Ohio State would hire in this day and age would be anything but a maniacal recruiter because you know that's the way that you win. But I think the number one question people had about Ryan Day when he got hired was, can he recruit like Urban Meyer? And the answer so far is yes, 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 yes. So I'm going to lay that more. A great assistance, you got to have them. you got to have them. And nobody is disputing those top three guys as great recruiters. But I would still lean more Ryan Day. And I think also some of the credit that Brian Hartline gets for bringing in great receivers, some percentage of that is directly related to Ohio State's ability to have just a pipeline of great quarterbacks coming in here too. That's something you can use to sell to those guys. So then that's, that's coming from Ryan Day. Right. You create, you develop and create an offense that people, that becomes a recruiting tool, right? I mean, the, the Ryan Day offense is a recruiting tool to get quarterbacks and, and wide receivers here. So, um, but it's a, it's, there's more than one answer, which is good. And then, so, you know what, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we're going to do percentages. And then we're going to talk about Ryan Day as a recruiter versus Urban Meyer as a recruiter and dig in a little more on that. But we'll be right back uh, on Buckeye Talk after this. Back on Buckeye Talk. Again, if you want to be a friend of the pod, $3.99 a month, but you get a 14-day free trial to try it out. We're into the, the final voting for our favorite modern Buckeye bracket. So if you want to be part of that, there's a st- the last most important votes are still there to be had. Final four championship game. If you want to be part of that, 614-350-3315. Um, what did I say we were going to talk about when I did the Percentages. Team? Oh, the percentages. What is – Nathan, you it must have been that long commercial break that we sat through. Yeah. Oh, all these, yeah, all these adverts. It's like when you watch real sports with, uh, and, and Brian Gumbel comes back and he'll be like, hey, good, good job, Armin. Like, like they really just sat there and watched the whole 20 minute segment. Did you really just drop Armin Katayan's name into the middle of our podcast? Are you trying to get him to freak out again? I did. It was just to get a rise out I mean, of you. I'll do it. I'll say pompous dillweed again if someone wants me to say it. Um, percentages. So if we're talking about percentages of, of the three things that, that need to be considered when we're trying to assign percentages for their success in recruiting, Ryan Day is a category, the assistance as a category, and then the other category that needs to be 
thought of equally is the Mark Pantone staff, right? That structure in place. Do you think we need to have that like a column for them that it, just yes. like we have a column for the assistants and, and for Ryan? Yes. Especially so given we, the certain situation that we're in right now and some of the things these assistants are having to go through that they're not used to going through. So yes. And, and what exactly, so very quickly, how would you define how we're like what we're saying when we say Ryan day by himself, Ryan day by himself, I think to me is the culture you establish as a head coach and what you demand from the people that you employ um, slash closing slash being able to go out and target a couple guys and, and sort of be like a main contact and some real priority guys. So I think it's some big picture stuff, but also a little bit of nitty gritty grinder stuff too. Okay. So if we have Ryan Day in one column, the 10 assistants in another column, and then Mark Pantone and his staff, and he's talked about the social media people they have, the other people uh, involved with official visits and all the logistics when they bring guys on, you know, guys on campus for visits. Um, let's take a moment. Maybe we'll have to take another commercial break, but not really a commercial break. Try to think in our heads how we would break that down right now and do math. Like when, when Steven did math live on the podcast the other day and was doing 70, 107 minus 75 or whatever. So let's do, <laughs> we dropped the uh, Jeopardy music in here now. While yeah. We, let's do yeah. live, live math. Um, I have By way, my, one of my former uh, sports journalism coworkers recently went on Jeopardy and won twice. Really? How much? Oh. I don't remember the I don't remember the the dollar total. And actually, she had a good total on the third day too, but but lost like a total that would have won a lot of days. Did you think like great for her, or did you think, oh my god, I'm smarter than her? How come I didn't win money? No, I thought she she seemed like the kind of person who would do well on Jeopardy, like someone who's kind of into games and has a like a wide range of like pop culture. But then, like I was a Scholastic Bowl kid in in high school that was like what i start my, what i excelled at and it isn't really mean that you're necessarily all that smart it just means that you kind of memorize things and if that was kind of and you and you you dabble in a lot of different interests i could not have someone that i know win on jeopardy and not think my god i'm i'm smarter than that idiot so that did nice. make me want to go take the test not because yeah. she's an idiot but because i'm like oh that means make a, i might be able to get on there she doesn't listen. You can say if you think she's an idiot. But, <laughs> she's, um, no, she's a Michigan State grad, so she's probably nowhere near this podcast. All right. So um, do we have our uh, our figures, our percentages between the Mark Pantone staff, Ryan Day, and the assistants? Does everybody have their 100% figured out? Yes. I have mine figured out. Steven, are you ready? Yes, I'm good. Okay. Let's start off with um, Ryan Day. Ryan Day, what was your percentage for Ryan Day? Stephen, we'll start with you. 36%. Nathan? 25%. I said 35. The assistants, what we think of the assistants. Nathan, start with you. See, when you threw in that third column, it threw me off a little bit. So I'm going to – I'll uh, – mm. 45%. 45% for Nathan. Steven? 30%. 30%, and I said 25%. Mm -hmm. Mark Pantone and his staff, I have 40%. 40%. 40%. 
I, so I, I think yeah. I have 30% left over. I went 34%. So Nathan, you have the most for the assistance. You basically have it as half assistance. And then you have Mark Pantone second, Ryan Day third. Steven, you have it pretty evenly divided, almost a third, a third, a third, but you have Ryan mm -hmm. Day first, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And I have Mark Pantone first. So we each have a different group first as the most, getting the most credit in a fairly evenly divided thing. Nathan, why do you give the assistants the most credit of those three groups? Some of it is because of something you said in relation to Ryan Day, which is the way that he's been able to hold over a lot of the culture from the Urban Meyer era. But some of that has been, uh, was eased, that transition was eased by the fact that some of these top recruiters are also from the Urban Meyer era. I feel like the 45% that I have for the assistants might be about their ceiling. And I think as Ryan Day's career goes on, his number goes up and it probably pulls away from that assistant coach as he has to bring in new guys and, and have it be more of their growth under him and their success under him than just them continuing what they did before. I'm not giving him no credit for that, but I also think that Larry Johnson, Kerry Combs, um, and, and what we've seen from someone like Greg Strajava recently, I think those would be happening um, without necessarily a, a great influence for Brian Day. All right, Stephen, you gave the greatest percentage of credit to Ryan Day. Why was he the number one on your list? One, because you gave a beautiful soliloquy that changed my opinion. In yeah, a, in and a lot by of the way, when we started this podcast, you and Nathan both said assistance over Ryan Day, and I changed your mind? I, the quarterback part of it changed my mind more than anything else because – at the, at the end of the day, it's the most important position in college football. Coordinates is great, but any high-level quarterback who comes to Ohio State is coming because Ryan Day exists. And the, everything stems from that. Obviously, the, the culture that he's been able to sustain from the Urban Meyer era, but none of that – like a lot of the things that – none of just things he's sustaining. The, the type of quarterbacks he's being able to bring in, whether it's bringing C.J. Stroud, like identifying Jack Miller early – but then Kyle McCord, who is probably going to be fighting to be the number one pro-style quarterback by the time he arrives here, that, that, right, that, that, when you're seeing the evolution of college football, it all starts there, and that's where everything starts for me. So bringing in a guy like Kyle McCord shows me the type of level of quarterback we should be expecting to get out of high school for Ohio State from now on. That's because of Ryan Day. So I gave the, the greatest – percent credit to the Mark Pantone staff. Again, I had Pantone 40%, Ryan Day 35, and the assistants 25. And the reason I did that is because I think the recruiting structure and the recruiting staff with Pantone and those guys is the part of Ohio State that is the most different from other schools. Lots of schools have head coaches who care about recruiting and are good at it. There are lots of assistant coaches around the country who are good at recruiting. Sometimes Ohio State fans like to think that only Ohio State coaches are good at recruiting. You know, when Al Washington worked at Michigan, he was good at recruiting there. So um, I think and, and we've, we know that that Mark Pantone sort of helped revolutionize recruiting and that the position, the person that he's the personnel director for Ohio State football is something that other programs have now adopted. And that he's been a leader in that. He's like their GM. He does initial film breakdowns to decide who they should even focus on. And he tells the assistants, here are your options to focus on. He does initial contacts to figure out 
is this kid, is this national highly ranked kid worth our time? Does he have any little glimmer of Ohio State interest that we can grab onto? He's the guy who, who helps decide, okay, well, this kid's ranked 58th in the country and this other kid's ranked ninth in the country, but we actually think the kid ranked 58th is a better player. And here's why, and here's why we should prioritize him. I just think Ohio State, that's where Ohio State is the most ahead of the game. And when Urban Meyer, as much as Ryan Day, I think in his own way, has improved on the Urban Meyer recruiting machine in some way, and if not improved, at least changed and adjusted it, that part of it, Urban was such a good recruiter, and that's what he left this program, was that group, that personnel group. Yes, to to Nathan's point, he did also leave him some really good assistants who were really good recruiters. But I think that is such a foundational baseline thing that that's where it all starts. And as good of a recruiter as Ryan Day is and as good of a recruiter as Kerry Combs and Larry Johnson and Brian Hartline are, if they didn't have that foundational staff sort of helping point them into right, the right direction, I don't think they'd be as good as they are. And I think not many programs have a staff like that that Mark Pantone leads for the Buckeyes. I think that's fair. I think the one area where I, the reason why I didn't maybe give them more percentage was because no matter what great job they do going out and identifying, for instance, class of uh, 2020 running backs, the the assistants and Ryan Day still have to go finish the job. So I think maybe that kind of comes out in the wash a little bit, like the years where they, they find the under recruited guy and they, they, they make a little bit of a coup and it pays off. And then there's going to be years where despite their best efforts of those, of the guys doing recon, the assistants don't get it done. And, and I think that's right. And I think it's kind of like with anything, right? It's like, I mean, you can, you know, somebody's got to start it, but if it doesn't get finished the right way, then it, it doesn't matter how good of a start you have. Um, I think by identifying things early, you increase the chances that somebody can close. And the other thing is, I think at other places, sort of like the persuasion aspect is, is probably even more important if you aren't at one of the five best programs in the country. It's not to take away from the assistance, but a lot of times Ohio State sells itself. And so, yes, you are going up against Clemson and, and Georgia and Alabama, and it is not easy to win those battles. But sometimes it's about like, well, you're not even really recruiting kids as much as picking kids. And then I think that Pantone staff at the beginning can help you decide which kids you should pick. Whereas if you're at Purdue, man, if you aren't, if you aren't a, a, yep. a, a, an assistant coach who can develop a great, great relationship and be persuasive, like you're never going to get anybody because Purdue's not going to sell itself. Right. Um, but, but I think you're right, Nathan. I think, I mean, if you don't finish it off, it doesn't matter how good Mark Pantone is. Steven, what do you think? I, in the, if, it, if it's in the discussion of Mark Pantone versus assistant, I'm going to lean more of Mark Pantone just because look at our situation now where it is, everybody's pretty, pretty much doing what Mark Pantone has to do right now. And that's evaluating, evaluating, evaluating and talking on the phone. You can't put that, that closing stamp on your things the way that maybe you would in the past. So you are maybe they they rely on Mark Mantoni in the beginning of the process heavily. And now they're having to rely on Mark Mantoni really at the end of the process as well, just because of our 
you know, the certain the current state of the world. So I, if we're going to, if that's the, if the argument now is between those two, I'm going to lean more on Mark Fantoni and his staff because that's the, the, the result. That's the thing that they're leaning on and having, that's their structure right now is what they do anyway. And, and like to, to Nathan, like what, when we're talking about like, it's not even necessarily finding the under the radar guys. It's, it's picking the right guy among the elite guys. And the number one example yeah. that comes up a lot with Ohio mm-hmm. State is a class of 2013. Uh, Derek Green was a running back who was the number four overall running back in that class and the number 27 overall player. And he wanted to come to Ohio State. He's a 27th ranked player in the country. But Ohio State, kind of led by Mark Pantone, decided they liked the 69th best player in the country more than they liked the 27th best player in the country. And Derek Green went to Michigan and kind of never had an impact. And the 69th best player in the country was Ezekiel Elliott. So, you know, the, whatever assistant they had, you know, the, Stan Drayton could, could have closed either Derek Green or Ezekiel Elliott, but somebody helped, had to help decide, well, which one are we taking? And obviously Stan Drayton and Urban Meyer and other people had a lot of influence in that. But I think Mark Pantone and that staff got them pointed in the right direction there. And I do think that kind of thing happens all the time because, again, they're going to get highly ranked kids. Sometimes the hardest decision, I think, in recruiting is which highly ranked kid. How do we decide between the 81st kid in the country and the 104th kid in the country? And that decision might be the difference between a kid who develops into an All-American and a kid who develops into a backup. Yeah, I know that we've talked about and we've written about for this class the fact that, you know, um, where, where these guys, where the assistants on this staff are in the, the rankings for 24-7 or whatever. But this class specifically, I think Mark Pantone deserves a lot of credit um, because of just what they were able to do early on, set them up so much for what they've been able to accomplish to this point. To, this, to a year where doing it early meant more than it almost maybe ever has. Okay, Yes. And I think, and like, we just talked to Pantone about that. I think, yeah. I mean, like, again, it's like, if, if we were doing a percentage on like, who gets the credit for Ohio state having the number one, one, number one ranked class in the country right now and continuing to gather recruits in the midst of coronavirus, I think all of us would give the greatest percentage to Mark Pantone for that. Yeah. Two things, three things that I want to get to a little bit still. One is the idea that we had mentioned before on uh, a previous podcast of the idea of Ohio State trying to have the best recruiting class ever this year. And Stephen wrote a piece on that. Um, I'm going to have – I have a column up on that Monday morning. And the, the interesting thing I think about that is that in the end, um, Stephen, you did this research, but whether you go by overall class rating or average star rating per player, um, at the moment – the number one rated class under those two in the history of like modern recruiting. One is a Florida class and one is an Ohio state class that the 2010 Florida class has the highest overall point total ever. And the 2017 Ohio state class has the highest average rating ever. And urban Meyer was the head coach for both of them. Yeah. He's yeah. (laughs) And like, (laughs) And that's not like first year Urban Meyer at Florida. That's his final year there. So a lot of his, you know, the thing, his culture was already set in stone. And as we can still see, the culture here is still set in stone. So the fact, yeah, to the point of being a maniac recruiter, the, 
not only is it, you know, you can't just say it, the numbers back that up. So what I, what I find so interesting is, again, that the conversation, and you can go read my column about it, the conversation about Ryan Day, when he got hired, a lot of it was recruiting focused. And now the idea that he, as a head coach, is chasing, you know, in the rankings, trying to maybe have Everybody. the best recruiting class ever, and he's chasing his mentor, chasing the guy who set up the structure hero at Ohio State, but that Ryan Day could maybe even top Urban at his best is a credit to Urban for the what he left here, but is remarkable. I mean, it is remarkable because I do not think, I think when people thought when Ryan Day was hired, I think people thought, well, he probably can keep pulling in top 10 recruiting classes. But if you said in two years, Ryan Day is going to pull in by the numbers, the greatest recruiting class ever, I, I think people would, would have not believed that. So like Nathan, I know you weren't here when Ryan Day was appointed that, but like in that context, what does that tell you about Ryan Day when we're talking about that? And again, it's just recruiting numbers, but they do matter. What does that say to you about Ryan Day? Well, kind of like as we've talked before, um, I think some of the podcasts back during the season where you had kind of a breakdown of um, where uh, how quickly sometimes things drop off in these elite programs when you have a coaching change. And from a recruiting standpoint, I guess because it's only two years in, I I still pump the brakes on how much you credit Ryan Day himself. But there is a lot to be said for – when you have a coaching change like that, there is so much uncertainty. There's so much um, that that could go awry and to be able to keep the core, not only keep that course going, but to take it up a notch. I think that does say something about him. It's, it's not proving it the same way that proving it on the field proves it, but it's certainly an important part of the equation. When you began that thought, you started off by saying on a previous podcast, when you had a breakdown and uh and then you said of uh recruiting or whatever and i'm just gonna take that cut and like put that out um (laughs) buckeye talk in a nutshell on a previous podcast when doug had a breakdown um two more things i want to get to so so we got a little crap and here's uh, i talk a lot on this podcast if anyone who listens to this podcast has noted that um, we should do that sometime. Somebody, maybe I'll do it. We'll do like, it's like when they have the presidential debate and it's like how much speaking time each person got. And I can be embarrassed about how much I don't ever shut up. We did a podcast like a week ago of their priority, the priorities and needs um, for this Ohio State recruiting class. And I had sort of gone through and said, well, here are the positions that they already had. You know, they had this many guys at this position on the roster. I don't think they need any more of those guys. And in the end, we came, I came up with the list and said, well, if we think they're going to have eight more scholarships they're going to add. They're going to add a quarterback, a tight end, two corners, two linebackers, a receiver, and a defensive lineman. And then Steven, in the process of trying to finish out the Ohio State recruiting class, I said they're going to get two more linebackers. Steven said they might get these seven guys. None of them are linebackers. People uh-huh. said that I was wrong because I said they weren't going to get any more offensive linemen, and that proved that we didn't know what the heck we were talking about with recruiting. Steven has them getting one more offensive lineman. And so why didn't you guys tell me I was wrong? Why do you let me shout and be wrong about recruiting? I'm not the recruiting guy. Shout me down. It's more fun this way. Fun for who? Fun to be wrong? So you think they're going to get an offensive lineman yet for sure? 
I think so. I, I, J.C. Latham has been leaning towards Ohio State for a while now, so I think so. Yes. But you didn't you didn't say, Doug, shut up, you idiot. Of course they're going to get an offensive lineman when we did the recruiting podcast. Yeah. Okay. Everybody has permission to tell me to shut the heck up when I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about because I would rather you tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. There's somebody – who has given us a review on Apple Podcasts that was a five-star review, and they are – and I don't even know you could do this. They are now using their review to comment on the podcast. And so it's like our latest review is a five-star review that begins with, we don't know what the heck we're talking about with recruiting. So tell me what I'm wrong. So we think they're adding an offensive lineman almost for certain in this class. You guys both did mention Latham in the discussion, but then I said, no, 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 they're not going to get one. We think that that probably will happen. Offensive lineman, at least one more? Yes. It wouldn't surprise me just specifically because of Latham. But I think if it's not him, then I don't think they might. I think they may not add anyone else. But what about, and what about linebackers? Steven, how come when you finished off the class with seven more guys, you didn't include any linebackers? Do you think they might not get They're, any more linebackers? I don't think so. They're not in the running for a lot of linebackers. They haven't offered a ton of guys at that position. It doesn't seem – obviously, I think it's because of this 2018 class where there are three guys who are blocked, and none of those guys are leaving. So it's none not – None of those guys a, are leaving. After next – after next after their junior seasons. That's what I'm saying. They're going to all be back for their senior year. How do you know? Unless they – they're not leaving for the NFL. So given that – unless they transfer, obviously, but – as things are standing, the expectation is those guys are going to be back for their senior year. So it's not the type of need of, oh, we're going to have, especially with the wake of the transfer portal where you can always do a – Ohio State has shown, we can always plug a guy in for a season if we, if we need to. If there are is a transfer in a, in a position room, it's something where, okay, next year we're going to have three guys leaving out of the room. So we're probably going to be heavy for linebackers, while in this class that's not necessarily the case. There was some guy from like North Dakota State or something, I think, who transferred to LSU as a linebacker, that it was like mm -hmm. another example of like a big time program sort of targeting an area of need and going and getting that guy. Yeah. Um, so the, okay. the transfer portal changes a lot as far as, you know, what you need, what you need to go get into a class. I feel like. Okay, so here's what's not going to happen anymore. I am not the recruiting guy. And if I read another review that we on our podcast don't know what the heck we're talking about with recruiting because I'm shouting and not being corrected, Stephen is the recruiting guy. Mm -hmm. When we talk about recruiting, Stephen, you are the expert. If I'm wrong, tell me to shut up. It's not fun. Don't say, oh, it's cool. Tell me to shut up and tell me what's real, okay? Okay. We have to be right about recruiting on this podcast, and I'm not taking the crap for it because I have other stuff to do. So we are giving a lot of credit to this. It is very interesting how this is going to finish out because there are so many options there. And the idea in the end, wherever we assign the credit, and I think we had an interesting discussion about the credit, there's a chance that this will be as good of a group of recruits that anybody has seen. Last thing. Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. People wanted us to talk about that. What was the actual uh, – who has the thing? Who has the actual email pulled up now? We all had it pulled up at various times. Let's see. Okay, if you want to deal with non-Buckeye football questions, I'd love to get your take on who will have more success moving forward, New England without Tom Brady or Tampa Bay with Tom Brady. This now comes on the heels of 
Tom Brady, like copywriting Tampa Bay, right? I think it's possible that he only went to Tampa Bay because of the initials, right? Has anybody ever done that? Like has, if like a guy named Ned Young just decided he wanted to play for the Yankees because they had the same initials, who do you think will be better off in the end with this divorce, Nathan? Bill Belichick in New England or Tom Brady with Tampa Bay? Uh, Short term, I think maybe Tampa just because of the receiving talent they have there. But, I mean, long term, the stability is there in New England for this to get passed on to – for, for several more years, I think. For the, I don't expect them to just plummet off the face of the earth. So you would pick Tom in Tampa, but you think New England will be okay? Yes. Okay. Steven, who do you pick? I'm going to go with Tom Brady because he's already got offensive weapons that he can throw the ball to. I don't – obviously, what the Patriots have done in the past is what they've done in the past, but I don't necessarily – a lot of that has been stemmed around Tom Brady and what his skill set is at certain times in, in defense. And I don't – their quarterback – you're not going to get another Tom Brady. Tom Brady is going to be Tom Brady no matter where he's at, no matter what uniform he's in at this point. You, the Patriots aren't going to pull another Tom Brady out of thin air. Yeah, I'm very curious. Um, Belichick is a genius. Nobody would dispute that. But he also lucked into the greatest quarterback of all time for two decades. So, like, if they're going to go with Jarrett Stidham or some guy, I'll be very curious – who they end up actually replacing Tom Brady with, like who their long-term quarterback is. If Bill Belichick targets somebody in the draft um, or if he makes a trade or he like really zeroes in on a guy, but um, it is such a luxury to have a franchise quarterback and teams are desperately seeking it that I I think it's a little weird in the end that they went their separate ways, but Um, I think in the coach quarterback thing, I've always leaned quarterback a little bit. So I think Tom will look weird in Tampa, but I think he'll have a little more success. All right. Along those lines of the Kerry Combs, Larry Johnson, Brian Hartline elite recruiter discussion, something that I've been sending to the texters is my ranking of all the assistant coaches that I have covered at Ohio State since 2005. There are 35 of them. Between 2005 and 2019, I've been ranking them from number 35 to number one. Um, we are in the top 10 now. I'm not going to talk about the guys at the bottom of the list. Um, you have to be a texter to get those, but sometime coming up on a daily pod, I will reveal my top 10 best assistant coaches um, that I have ever covered at Ohio State. And obviously recruiting is a big part of that. So we have a lot more ideas coming for the daily pod. I think we're doing draft stuff for the big pod on Wednesday. Is that right? We want to zero in on the NFL draft with Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and these guys a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So expect that on Wednesday, expect the daily pods, expect uh, continued Ohio State coverage at cleveland.com slash OSU. Expect, uh, we expect reviews from you guys on the Apple podcast so we can you know, bump down the guy who was using his five-star review to criticize a recruiting talk. So um, we appreciate that. We appreciate you guys who are subscribing to the texts, 614-350-3315. We will be back on Tuesday with another daily pod for now. On behalf of Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>